And good Friday to you all. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Time for episode 70 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. Hope you are having a great Friday afternoon. Going to talk through a few things. Uh, Preakness is tomorrow. It's the opening night of WNBA. We'll talk a little bit of college football uh, and anything else that may come up in the next however long I plan to talk. I don't think it's going to be a terribly long show. But let's get into it. So Preakness 146. So the big story that has been kind of uh, kind of casting a shadow over the Preakness has been the story of Medina Spirit. So at last word, the horse has been allowed to run by Preakness officials. Um, now, as of yesterday, the horse was subject to additional testing and monitoring. As of now, the horse has cleared all tests. So because of clearing all tests, the horse will be allowed to run in the Preakness and have the possibility of winning the second leg of the Triple Crown and potentially going on to win the Triple Crown. Now, again, uh, the results of the Kentucky Derby are still kind of at odds. It's going to take a while for us to know, um, was there any, uh, I guess, nefariousness, for lack of a better word, with the amount of steroid that was found uh, in the post-race analysis. But nevertheless, uh, Bob Bafford, uh, he has three horses in the field. Um, all will be under extra scrutiny. Um, Madonna Spirit, as you said, passes test. Concert Tour, which is um, at a, uh, it's in the 10-horse uh, field, so we'll talk about the, the field just briefly in a second. And another horse, Beautiful Gift, which will run or has already run today. So the, today they have the Black Eyed Susan Stakes. Um, so Beautiful Gift, Concert Tour, and Medina Spirit were all tested, and their results have come through, but I don't know about uh, Beautiful Gift. But I do know that Medina Spirit and I believe Concert Tour also uh, passed their test, and they are good to go for the 146 Preakness. As we said, uh, your post time will be around like 6.50 p.m. tomorrow night, so that would be the sixth race of the day. And then after that, I think you have me about four more races after that. So kind of a, a not a, a big uh, field of races on Preakness Day, but they kind of get you at that, that the this grade one stakes race right at the middle of the racing card for the day. So this field is half of the Kentucky Derby field. So the Kentucky Derby, I believe, had 20 horses. We're now at a 10-horse field. Madonna Spears, your current favorite, nine to five, running out of the three post. And the aforementioned concert tour is running out of the 10 posts at five to two odds. So, I mean, again, if you're betting, probably, you know, if, well, here's the thing. If you bet on the favorite right now, and again, these odds will change as we get closer to post time. And of course, the field could shrink because there are always scratches at the last minute. But at the same time, too, as I mentioned last show, um, depending on the long odds, um, so either you know you can pick the winner, you can pick the what the daily double, the trifecta, or the superfecta. Again, depending on how lucky you feel, how well you handicap horses. I mean, I'll be real with you. I'm not a handicapper. I know people who, like my brother, who used to be able to just pick them <laughs> and just oh pick these three horses and he would just get it weird. I don't know. Don't, don't understand it. But 
um, again, it's one of those things where, you know, how lucky you feel. So if you feel like you got a good feel for who the first two horses are going to be, you know, let it ride. But as I said, you don't have to put a lot of money on it because, again, the way the payouts go per the odds, if you get your two favorites, you know, you would get a pretty good return on a fairly good return on a dollar. But if you go a little bit more, so let's say the payout on a on a daily double Let's say you put out a dollar. Let's say the payout based on our odds is say, let's say it's three fifty. Okay, if you pay, if you pay ten bucks, just add a zero. You do that math, and I'll let you kind of let your eyes swell up for a second. Okay, <laughs> all right. So again, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to go down. But I'll be watching the race tomorrow, and we'll kind of you know talk through it to see if potentially we have. A horse that could possibly finish the Triple Crown. Again, we'll put a little asterisk by that because, again, if Medina Spirit is disqualified from the Kentucky Derby, then we don't have a Triple Crown runner. Triple Crown runner for this year. Uh, the WNBA it's opening night in the league, so four games tonight. So I think one game will be on NBA television. I think the other three games will not be televised nationally. Uh, the Fever visit New York Liberty. The Connecticut Sun visit the Atlanta Dream. The Phoenix Mercury visit the uh, Minnesota Lynx. And the Dallas Wings visit the LA Sparks. So those games will be 7, 7, 39, and 10, 30, respectively. So those four games reflect a new little, little added thing that they're adding this year. It's called the Commissioner's Cup. So this is the first year, and these four games will, be, will count towards the Commissioner's Cup. So here's how this Commissioner's Cup is going to work. So these games are the first home game and the first road game that each team plays against against uh, plays in against its five conference rivals. So the way this works is if you win, you get points and then the standings will determine the best team in the East, the best team in the West. And then during the Olympic break, the best team in the East, the best team in the West, they'll play play each other for the Commissioner's Cup Championship. Now, not only is there a trophy, it gets better. There's trophy and money. So a trophy's great, but when you get money with the trophy, it makes the trophy a little bit better. You kind of, you know, a little more incentive. You want to play a little harder. You want to do some stuff. So um, so the prize money is roughly about $500,000. So to the winning team, each player gets about $30,000. Nothing to sneeze at. Um each player on the runner-up team gets about $10,000, and then the MVP, whatever they get, add $5,000. So let's say the MVP is on the winning team, which it typically is. I mean, you know, you, you kind of got to give some love to those players that if they're on the losing team and they really play their tails off, I mean, they should be considered for the MVP, but nevertheless. So there's the potential for a player to get that $30,000 check and say, oh, well, you know what? Let me add you another 5000 there. And you get that $35,000 and you get a nice shiny trophy. So I think this is, um, I think this just adds a little, a, another layer of, of uh, I guess, of intrigue, of suspense, of competitiveness to the WNBA play as if it's, as if it's not going to be competitive enough. I think it's going to be a fantastic season, the season 25. Um, so many great storylines. Um, I know the, the, the 40, I'm sorry, the 30 for 30 came out last night about the, uh, the bubble season for the WNBA, I've, I've not yet seen it. I'm hoping I'll try to catch it in the next few days, and uh, you know, kind of have the kind of have the uh, a chance to kind of talk about it. Because you know how I feel about thirty for thirties. The thirty for thirties on 
uh, ESPN. They are just fantastic. There's so many good ones, and I just can't really uh, help myself when they come on. I've seen most of them, but there's a few that I've, I've yet to to see. And some people tell me you gotta watch this particular one, and I may or may not have seen it. Um, so with that, um, and then Saturday tomorrow. Two games, both both on ABC. The Chicago Sky visit the Washington Mystics at one o'clock, and the Las Vegas Aces play the Seattle Storm at three o'clock. So the Storm are the defending champions. The Aces played the Storm for the all, for the championship last year. So it's a uh, a immediate rematch of last year's championship. And to be honest with you, I kind of think these two teams are going to meet again in the championship again. That's just my early prediction. We'll see how it goes. We all know early predictions sometimes don't mean a darn thing. <laughs> uh, don't mean a darn thing in a lot of sports. I always joke about baseball on this show, and early predictions in baseball don't mean anything. I mean, team-wise, I mean, if you're talking about individual play, sometimes those things tend to come to fruition. But um, talking about, oh, this is my pick to win the pennant. Again, you've got 162 opportunities to blow this thing. So maybe you should just pump your brakes until July to be like, yeah, you know, looking at the trend, this might be the team to beat. I know July is pretty far into the season, but I mean, like I said, at that point, you know who sucks at that point. <laughs> Actually, it's May. We know who sucks next month. We'll, 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 we'll use June as the benchmark. By June, maybe about mid-June, towards the end of the month, we're going to know who's trash in baseball as if we don't already know, but we're really going to be able to smell the garbage by the end of June in MLB. Um, more news from the WNBA. Simone Augustus retires after 15 years in the league. So she signed with Los Angeles last year and um, she retired, uh, re-signed last year. Um, she now retires at, with the LA Sparks and becomes an assistant coach. Um, Augusta, she's one of one of your one of the most decorated players in the league currently, tenth all time in scoring. She was the number one pick of the Minnesota Lynx in two thousand six. She's a four time WNBA champion, eight time All Star, and three gold medals. I mean, come on now, um, Simone Augustus. I mean, she's just had a phenomenal career. Watched her in college at LSU. I mean, just such a fantastic player and just took it to another level in the WNBA. Congratulations to her, a well-deserved retirement. And I'm sure that she will make quite a tremendous difference as an assistant with the LA Sparks. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, if you're, if you're coaching as assistant, you know, that next level of, you know, working into head coaching, that's always a possibility. And, you know, Hey, the sky's the limit. Just keep on, you know, pushing up that ladder. Um, Finally, I've been talking about this for so long. Finally, Nikki Fargus officially, after almost a month or so of speculation and talk, and did she resign and did she not resign? She has officially become the Las Vegas Aces team president. So that frees up Bill Lambeer to coach because Bill Lambeer was coach and team president. And I, I, I think I may have asked myself this question before, but it, it just seems to be difficult to do both. Um, it trips me out when people appoint someone to be, oh, I want you to be our team president and coach. That, that, that's asking a lot. But considering that, you know, the Aces, they're, you know, a stacked team led by uh, led by Asia, Wil uh, Asia Wilson. 
they are, you know, they're going to get it done regardless. But um, but it gives him more opportunity to, you know, do what he needs to do to coach that team. All right. Um, so we come back, we'll talk a little college football. So a couple notes from college football and we'll go ahead and end this thing. Like I said, nice short Friday episode to kind of get us into the weekend. Stay tuned. If you haven't heard about anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You also can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, everyone, welcome back. So a couple notes from college football. So first, rest in peace to former Hawaii quarterback Colt Brennan. Uh, he was 37 years old. So per a report from his father, so uh, reported uh, from ESPN and some other sources, uh, his father said that he ingested something laced with fentanyl. Um, Colt Brennan had been looking to enter rehab. He had had some uh, some issues. And at the particular time he's looking to enter rehab, he was turned away. Um, Brennan was a Hawaii quarterback from 2005 to 2007. So he was in the run and shoot system of head coach June Jones. Three times he threw for 4,000 plus yards in a season. So in 2006, he threw for 5,549 yards and 58 touchdowns. That record stood until 2019 when the record was broken by Joe Burrow. All time, he is fourth in career touchdowns with 131. He finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 2006 and third in Heisman voting in 2007. His 2007 team ended the regular season 12 and 0, 10th in the nation, and they lost to the Georgia Bulldogs in their bowl game. So they finished 12 and 1 for the season. Um, in 2008, he was the sixth round pick of the Washington football team. He was injured and was released, and he never played a down in the NFL. Um, he had recent troubles. He had a car accident in 2010 that left him with a traumatic brain injury, some other uh, injuries that were uh, noted as well. Um, and he was not quite able from that point to really get himself going playing in other leagues like the USFL, the Canadian League and such. Um, and plus, he had a lot of legal troubles, uh, issues with DUI and public intoxication. And, you know, it's sad to hear, you know, first of all, someone who did such great things on the football field and you know there were so many uh dedications to him from uh from hawaii from uh the washington football team and they just spoke about the kind of person he was and i didn't know him personally but it's good to hear those things because you know i only saw him as a football player but there were such nice things said about him and you hate to see someone lost so young so rest in peace to uh, Colt Brennan, uh, I, it was something to watch when you watched Hawaii football uh, in that run and shoot of June Jones. But again, they've had, you know, that program um, in those years had a lot of great quarterbacks, Colt Brennan, Timmy Chang, those guys, they just really, uh, they just really slung that rock around. And it was a, a thing of beauty, especially if you really like a lot of offense. Um, on the other side of the college football, the expansion of the college football playoffs. Okay, so here we go. Um, there's talk that people like current ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips 
And the Pac-12 has just named a new commissioner to replace Larry Scott. His name is George Klavikov. Both of those commissioners are in favor of expanding the college football playoffs. Now, this expansion can be anywhere from 6 to 16 teams. Now, here's, here's the way I see it, and I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. I think expansion should only go to four more teams. I think it should be eight max. I don't think there should be a 16-team college football playoff because many athletic directors are against this idea of making um, football a two-semester sport. So I think one of the uh, athletic directors who was, who was interviewed in this story mentioned that, and I agree. Um, I, like I said, I really think that if you expand it to eight teams, I think what you get here is you get you still get a situation to where you would have to vet the teams. But I think it opens it up. I think the arguments get a little bit less. So you can do it one of two ways. Either first you say, all right, you get all of your power five, all your power five champions. So all the champions of the power five conference go automatically. Then your three at-large bids will go to either Power 5 teams that kind of you rank them in the same way that you rank the teams now. And you also look at your group of five teams. So you say, okay, your Power 5 champions, boom, they get an automatic bid. And then your top three teams from the rankings from the Power 5 and group of five teams. That's one way you can do it. The other way is just throw all the teams in the hat continue to rank them the same way, and you say, okay, here are your top eight teams. They go automatically. So with that, and I'd have to go back and look at maybe last year's or the year before's um, uh, uh, rankings, uh, the college football playoff rankings, it'd be interesting to see, you know, over the last several years, like what eight teams would have gone if you did an 18 tournament. But if you expand the six teams, I don't think you're really doing anybody any favors. I mean, you would have to – you know, kind of shift the bracket where maybe you get you give buys to like the top two teams get buys and then you have playing games. It's I think you should keep it even if it's four expanded to eight and leave it. Sixteen is ridiculous. Um, and of course, there are people who are going to argue that expansion is is a silly idea that um, I don't know. I've heard arguments that kind of have a little bit of merit, but not a lot of merit. Like I remember um, a while back, who was in uh, was it Greg Michael Roy was talking about how you know expanding to eight teams doesn't really, to some extent, he felt like it didn't really benefit anyone except the better teams. But it would kind of make the better teams kind of lazy in that they would say, "Well, all we have to do is run the table, and that's it." And my whole thing is. With the first scenario I laid out, that is possibly true, that um, a team could run the table, win their conference, and get in as an automatic bid. Um, I think that you should continue to reward teams for having a strong schedule. So, you know, you know an Alabama, a Clemson, an Ohio State, uh, those schools are going to have strong schedules. They're going to seek out and they're going to play each other play really good schedules other schools will have you know other schools are trying to you know really put themselves at the forefront of this you know like your group of five teams like a ucf for example 
maybe a Coastal Carolina, those teams would have to seek out and really play really high-level competition like, like Coastal did this year because of COVID. They had to kind of string together schedule like a lot of teams did and essentially would have to win those games, show that they can play at that high level, and then from there they could potentially get into that top eight and then um, go into the tournament. So my whole thing is it'd probably be better, kind of now that I'm thinking about it, it'd probably be better to continue the ranking system, which I'm not crazy about. But I think with that, you're still going to have arguments. Like for me, I just hate the arguments that go on, these 20-minute arguments about, well, what about this? What about that? And, you know, all, all the all the things that everyone's looking at, they're looking at the same thing, but everyone has a different eye when they look at these things. So my whole thing is if you say, okay, here's your power five, every conference champion from power five gets in. So in some respects, certain conferences, you know, there's a fair amount of competition. So for example, uh, you get, for example, let's say the Pac-12. Okay, the Pac-12, typically, you know, Oregon's going to be, you know, typically the team that's out front of this. Um, USC, you know, is kind of, you know, kind of lurking in the background. They're pushing forward. But then you get a team like, say, like an Arizona State, which is, you know, coming along under Herman Edwards. So you've got a little competition there. The ACC, on the other hand, okay, you got Notre Dame, which isn't a full member, but you get somebody like Clemson, who's running the table every year. Florida State is slowly coming along. Right now, it's Clemson's to win unless someone else comes comes about. But again, what do they do? They have two divisions. Each division dukes it out. The winner of the division goes to the conference championship game, and then somebody comes out and wins, and then they go to the championship game. So in some respects, it kind of can still work out, but it kind of doesn't benefit a lot of teams in that way because the conferences are kind of so imbalanced. Look at the SEC, okay? It's typically Alabama against whoever comes out of the East. So it could be Florida, it could be Georgia, it could be anyone. You know, typically it's Florida or Georgia right now. Okay, so it, it, it this is something that's going to need a little tweaking. But here's the big point here. With two current sitting commissioners, Jim Phillips is relatively new to his job. Uh, George Klavikov hasn't even sat in the chair yet. By saying that they are willing, that they are for expansion, you get those faces in the room. They start to have these conversations. Um, the head of the college football playoff um, is saying that, okay, we can have these discussions, but let's keep in mind, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. This isn't going to happen next year. It's going to be over a few years that this potentially could happen. And, and I'm good with that. I don't expect them to expand this thing to eight two seasons from now maybe it might take about three or four years for it to occur but then in that time period the legwork that has to happen for it to take shape has to happen how do we evaluate teams like do we have to take our current um you know our current framework do we have to change it in any way you know whatever so all that work has to take place but it'd be interesting to see where this conversation goes as we as we move forward so lastly, let's talk weekend here. The weekend. So three key things for the weekend here. NASCAR has hit the halfway mark. Denny Hamlin is your points leader. They are running at Dover International this weekend, 2 p.m. on Sunday for the Drydeen 400. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how that takes shape and kind of see 
you know, how this thing goes as they push into the second half of their season. The NBA, their regular season ends on Sunday. The play-in tournament will start on May 18th, so that will be on uh, next Tuesday. Um, the play-in tournament will be for the 18th to the 21st, and then the second, the first round of the playoffs will start May 22nd. So when I looked at the play-in for the NBA, I was like, this is weird, but then it makes sense. So it's kind of like if you watch uh, college baseball, if you happen to watch college baseball. like It's kind of like double elimination, but a little different. So you got four teams, the seven, eight, nine, and ten seeds. So seven plays eight, nine plays ten. Um, I don't know. I probably said seven, ten, eight, nine, but that's just me. Okay. So here's how this works. The winner of the seven, eight game will go on to be the seventh seed. They get pushed into the, the NBA playoffs. The loser goes to a third game. So there's three games being played here. So the first two games, the 7, 8, 9, 10, the third game will match up two teams here. So the loser of the 7, 8 matchup goes to game three. The 9, 10 game, the winner plays in game three. The loser of the 9, 10 game goes into the draft lottery. So in the game three, you've got the loser of the 7, 8 matchup versus the winner of the 9, 10 matchup. The winner of that game is the eighth seed in the NBA turn in the NBA playoffs. The loser will go to the draft lottery. So it, if you want me to explain to you again, hit me up. <laughs> it makes sense. It actually does make sense because I had to read it, write it out, and go, oh, totally get it. And it's interesting. Again, I think they're adding that little layer to it that makes it, you know, gives you a little intrigue here. And of course, the NBA draft lottery. Now, listen. I love the draft lottery because the intrigue is interesting. Um, you know, whole fan bases are just kind of like waiting with bated breath to see, do we get the number one pick? Because, you know, there's so many players coming out this year that are potentially the number one pick and guys who are impact players and so many, you know, guys who are either, you know, ones and duns or guys who may have played three years and decided to make the leap. But again, I think you got a good class coming out this year. And I think these uh, fans are really going to be looking forward to seeing how the draft lottery is going to go for these teams that, you know, their seasons weren't very successful. Lastly, in the PGA, the Byron Nelson is this weekend. Next week is the PGA Championship. So uh, so that I'll kind of get into PGA Championship mode next week and talk about that as that begins next Thursday. Uh, one new one note from a uh, golf Phil Mickelson, the five-time major champion. He gets an exemption to play in the U.S. Open this year. So, the way it works to play in the U.S. Open, you have to be a top sixty player. Mickelson is currently one hundred and sixteenth in the world, but because of his, uh, I guess his five-time championships, kind of his play this season, the USGA offered him. A special exemption, a special exemption, and he is playing. And note that this is the only major Phil Mickelson has not won. So that kind of adds again another layer of interest and intrigue to that exemption. He just, I mean, U.S. Open courses are notoriously tough. I mean, people talk about Augusta National being what it is. People talk about, you know wherever they play the open championship when that comes up in July and I don't know where they're playing it this year if they're playing it so I gotta check the schedule but the U.S. Open the USGA really works hard to make these courses 
I don't say impossible, but let's just say if you're playing golf at the professional level, it really tests who you are. It tests it tests your metal, it tests your intestinal fortitude and your ability to tough it out to the highest degree. So if you can win a U.S. Open, then, you know, you know, let's say if you can win a U.S. Open but haven't won anything else, many people will judge you by that. But I say that you have pretty much won a major, a golf major in some of the toughest conditions there there are. Um, you know, and, and there have been U.S. Opens. I think there was there's one there's a the Bethpage State Park in upstate New York. And I think they played there on two occasions in the last maybe 20 years. And both times on that course, the course is the black course, tough course to begin with. Then, of course, what happens? It rains for two days. And if you've ever played on a wet golf course, well, you understand. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. It's it just makes whatever is already hard 10 times harder. So with that, the Friday edition of the Sports Wagon podcast has ended. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Please, please, please hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. I'll be back at you guys on Monday to see, you know, set up the week, talk about WNBA uh, and whatever else is going on. NBA playoffs are about to start, so I'm about to really, really tune in, maybe look a little baseball. But whatever happens, enjoy your weekend, whatever you watch enjoy especially WNBA I'm 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 excited about tomorrow I'm gonna try to catch a catch at least one of the games tomorrow maybe not maybe not both but at least one but until then continue take care of yourself mask up drink your water and mind the business that pays you peace thank you for listening to the latest episode of the sports wagon podcast if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe rate review and tell a friend about the show You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.